Good morning. It's nice to see you all here. Bill, it's wonderful to see you back. <laughs> Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We thank you that Bill can, is joining us again today after not being so good for, for a number of weeks. So Lord, we praise you. We rejoice in you. We invite your Holy Spirit in so that we can learn more about you and make you even more a part of our lives than you are today. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As a reminder, Easter sunrise service. Next week we're going we won't have a 930 service, and we're but we're gonna have an eight o'clock service out in the prayer garden. Okay, so we'll have it outdoors. It'll be uh, after sunrise, but uh, before sunset. Before sunset. <laughs> and I think a bunch of our creaky bones aren't getting up at uh, for sunrise. <laughs> Let's worship our Lord. Good morning, class. <laughs> Peace. Well, I just thought I would say that there was used to be a joke about a routine by. Um, who was that, Cheech and Chong? Good morning, class. Shout out. At any rate, today's devotional, we got to love it, peace with God. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Science has confirmed what the Bible taught centuries ago. There's a close relationship between our mind and our bodies. Proverbs puts it this way, a cheerful heart is good medicine but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. But there is also a close relationship between our mental and our physical health and the health of our spiritual lives. Guilt, fear, jealousy, bitterness, futility, and escapism, these and a host of other problems are spiritual ills, but, and they are brought about by the disease of sin. Like a poison, they can sicken us, mind and body. But when Christ comes into our lives, he removes our guilt and he takes away our fears. He gives us love for one another and a new purpose in life. His joy and peace neutralizes sin's poison and promotes emotional and physical health. Does that mean our emotional and our physical problems will vanish? Not necessarily, but like a spring of pure water, God's peace in our hearts brings cleansing and refreshment to our minds and our bodies. And the hope for today, the weight of the worldly concerns can crush our spirits. We get bogged down in life and forget about what has been given to us. Ask the Lord to restore you and the joy of your salvation, and that will refresh your spirit.
Oh. 
Testament scripture today comes from Psalms 118, verses 1 through 2 and 19 through 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repent. His faithful love endures forever. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. This is the day the Lord has made. He will rejoice and be glad in it. Please, Lord. Please save us. Please, Lord, please give us success. Bless the one who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you in the house, from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God shining upon us. Take the sacrifice and, and bind it with the cords of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. We say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Our New Testament reading today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. As Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the towns of Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two on ahead of them on ahead. Go into that village over there, he told them. As soon as you enter it, you will see a young donkey tied there that no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say, the Lord needs it and will return it soon. The two disciples left and found the colt standing in the street, tied outside the front door. As they were untying it, some bystanders demanded, what are you doing untying that colt? They said what Jesus told them to say, and they were permitted to take it. Then they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their garments over it, and he sat on it. Many in the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut in the fields. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people all around him were shouting, Praise God! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming of kingdom of our ancestor David. Praise God in highest heaven. So Jesus came to Jerusalem and went into the temple. And after, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. Then he returned to Bethany with the 12 disciples. We have a responsive reading. You can follow up here or in your bulletin. On this day of great rejoicing, Lord Jesus Christ, when we welcome you as our King and Savior, we also walk in the shadow of your cross. Hosanna, we cry. Blessed are you who comes in God's name to save us. Hosanna, strengthen our faith in this Palm Sunday so that when the time comes to carry the cross, we might still call out to you with heartfelt praise. Give us the grace and courage to follow you this holy week from death to resurrection, from darkness to the fullness of light. We need you, Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hosanna. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, all belongs to you and we recognize that we also know that you call for us to give back to give back freely to give back so that your kingdom may grow so that it may be used to spread your word so that others may come to know you and that those of us who do can come to know you better lord so please accept the gifts we give today and help and bless them so they may be used for your purpose. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord is good, isn't he? All the time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And I want to thank you, Lord, that your word brings life. And that wherever your word is preached, whenever your word is is spoken, is read, is sung, and that we bring glory and honor to you. 
And I just thank you that uh, your word comes with glory. Your word comes with, uh, with power. And I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that you will speak to each one of our hearts. You'll take something said, something sung, something that will uh, build us up, make us stronger in you so that we can become more like you. We thank you that you are at work in us to conform us to the image of Christ. So use a little, a little block here and there, Lord, today to build that building that we are, that temple that we are in Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning we're going to talk about, um, and I told you we were doing a series of four different, just a short series of four different messages, and this one uh, is on the glory of God. And we've been talking about the cross and the glory. And, of course, the cross leads to the glory. And the text um, I'm going to read to you, we're, we're, we're going to, I'll read it to you, and then we're going to get to it at the end. So we're going to build up to, to that. It's 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now, the glory of man is only a shadow. Um, and, you know, many people spend their whole lives seeking for the glory of, the glory of man. Um, and, but what men are really after, what we really long for, is God's glory. But we, many times we get trapped in what is only a shadow of God's glory. We try all our lives to find some kind of glory. The problem is that we seek it in places where it is fleeting, temporary, and only a shadow of the real glory of God. Paul, in um, contrast, uh, the shadow of, with reality... Shadows don't have a real body, isn't that right? I mean, a shadow, the only reason a shadow is a shadow is there's a, there's a light source and then there's some kind of solid substance, you know, whether it's a body or a house or whatever it is, cactus or whatever it is, and that light source then casts a shadow. But that shadow is not the reality. Um, what we're interested in is what is the reality and... And God's word says that Christ is that reality. The problem is that men seek the glory of men to be praised by men, to be exalted on this earth. But the glory of men is pale in comparison with the glory that God has prepared for us. We trade God's glory, which is unfathomably greater, for man's glory. What is man's glory? Um, last week, Mike had a slide that um, I thought really expressed it, and it was a, it was a, uh, uh, you know, a thing used in the Olympics where you have you have one, two, and three, you know, the the gold and the silver and the bronze uh, medals, and so they're standing on this pedestal, and people work all their lives in whatever sport they're in in order to be able to stand on that number one, and maybe hopefully. You know, as concession, maybe two or three. 
and they work all their lives to get a reef. <laughs> what do you think of it, you know? Yeah, you, you spend how, how many years they train uh, so diligently to get a reef or to get a ring. Now, it's not the ring, or it's not the reef, or it's not the gold medal, or whatever it is. It's that with that comes glory. Men getting glory because uh, they, they are number one in the world. And they've excelled in some area. We're the best in the world at the 100-yard dash, or the best in the world flying down an ice-packed course in a bobsled. Or we're the best in the world at skiing between some flags on a downhill course. Well, that's great. But how much greater is God's glory? People will talk well of us when we, when we, uh, you know, when we get glory. They'll remember our name. But how much more important is it that God, who created us, who's the king of glory, remembers our name and will reward us for what we've done on earth? That's God's glory. We'll reign with him forever and our rewards will stay with us forever. How important is it then that he is pleased with us? So let's seek those things uh, that bring glory to God. Colossians 2.16 Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul is talking then about religion. Now, all kinds of things can, you know, we can seek for glory, but part of what men do is that we substitute religion for the reality. Hebrews 10.1 says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. Hebrews 8.5, they served a sanctuary that is a copy and shadow of that which is in heaven. And so part of what we do is that we seek after religion because we think that religion is a reality. Religion is not the reality. Christ is the reality. So let's not seek after the shadow. Let's seek after the reality. Why spend our lives chasing shadows when the reality has been fully revealed to us? So what I want to talk about is, what is this concept of glory? And we want to talk and go back to the Old Testament and move through the Old Testament and talk about the glory of God. The basic definition of the word uh, in the Hebrew means to be heavy. Okay, that's, that's the basic you know, understanding of it. Or it could mean the notion of reputation or honor. And one commentator, uh, actually a theologian, says this. Um, glory, from the Old, Old Testament word, <coughs> kavod, is an individual's display of splendor, wealth, and pomp. When used with respect to God, it does not point to one particular attribute, and I love this, but to the greatness of his entire nature. So God's glory is the greatness of his entire nature, of who he is. God is glorious. It just emanates from him. That's who he is. It is brightness, splendor, magnificence, fame. It's a visible manifestation of God commonly associated with his holiness. 
God wishes, wishes to dwell with men, to have his reality and his splendor known to them, the very reality of his presence. But nowhere is the reality and the splendor of his presence and his character seen more than in his son. So God's presence then, we see then all through the Old Testament, God came along and God showed his glory to the people of Israel. He led them by the cloud in the wilderness, and then it became localized in the tabernacle, first in the wilderness, then in the temple, and it expressed God's moral beauty or his inherent majesty. God is majestic. He is the essence of majesty and of splendor and holiness and, and all that that is glorious. That is who God is. That is his nature. And there's three different instances that we see in the Old Testament that talk about this glory of God. <coughs> Caroline and I both, when we were um, teenagers, had an experience. Um, I lived on the banks of, uh, we lived in town in Ashtabula, Ohio. Anybody ever heard of Ashtabula, Ohio? <laughs> there we go, all right. <laughs> um, and we had a house in town, and then seven miles away, we had a house out by the lake. We would, as soon as uh, school was out, we'd move out to the lake, and, um, and we'd spend the whole summer. And as soon as school started, we'd move back into the, back into the city. And I just remember lying out, and there's, it, it was right on the banks of uh, Lake Erie. I remember lying out in the grass, you know, on the bank of Lake Erie, and just looking up at the sky and saying, that, you know, I mean, there's, there, there's something so glorious up there, so majestic, so wonderful. I, you know, there has to be something beyond just this ordinary life. And Caroline had the same, same experience, um, looking up at the sky. Okay, you astronomers, <laughs> you know, and, and just looking up at the sky, you're, you're brought to the place where you go, man, there's got to be something more, doesn't there? There has to be something more than just this nitty-gritty, you know, process of life. There's a great God out there. Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. And so we see in creation then, we see the glory of God in creation. That's the beauty of it. We have, uh, we'll see it in the next slides. That God establishes this beautiful, beautiful creation for us. And I, you know, personally, I don't see how people can't look at the beauty of what God has created and turn away from that and say, oh, it's just a matter of chance. Uh, I mean, God has given us an incredibly beautiful, majestic, glorious creation. And it's just a little piece of who he is. His majesty, his glory. His wonder. I remember one time um, I was 
Um, and I don't remember, Matt was probably about six years old, and we were in Harriman State Park in, uh, in outside of Suffern, New York. I was an interim pastor there in a Presbyterian church, and, and we were driving, and we'd probably gone hiking or something, and we were driving down this highway, and I just looked, and there was this, just this beautiful sunset, the beautiful, you know, beauty of God's creation, and, and I think there was a Messiah chorus is on, you know, playing. And I just, you know, I just went, wow. You know, God is majestic. God is beautiful. God is glorious. I'm not sure Matt was feeling the same, but I think he was. <laughs> but I expressed that to him. You know, God is, God is incredible. I mean, you look at, for example, at the human body. Infants are born with 300 bones, by the time they reach adulthood, they have 206 bones. More than half of your bones are located in the hands, wrists, feet, and ankles. Isn't that incredible? That God gives us, you know, hands that can do amazing things. Every second, listen to this one, your body produces 25 million new cells. Every second. Wow. You have 60,000 to 100,000 miles of blood vessels in the human body. That laid, laid end to end be enough to travel around the world more than three times. That's how, that's how many blood vessels you have in your body. I mean, oh, but it all came by chance. You know? <laughs> it was, it was just, no, it's, it's, it's beautiful. God, what God creates is incredible. Despite accounting for 2% of your body mass, the brain uses 20% of our oxygen. While humans are not the biggest, fastest, or strongest animals around, we're the best at something, long-distance running. How about that? Pound for pound, this one I love. Pound for pound, your bones are stronger than steel. Isn't that incredible? A block of bone the size of a matchbox could support up to 18,000 pounds of weight. Don't try it, but believe it. <laughs> probably, probably not a good idea to put that to the test. And then the human eye. Your eye is the fastest muscle in your body. So that's why we say in the blink of an eye. Human eye can function at 100% any given moment without needing to rest. I mean, you know, how can you duplicate that? Eyes heal quickly. It takes about 48 hours to repair a corneal scratch. Humans can see the light of a candle from 14 miles away in the right kinds of conditions. I mean, Wow. 80% of our memories are determined by what we see. The only cells that survive from the time you were born until death are in your eyes. About half of the human brain is dedicated to vision and seeing. The muscles in the eye are 100 times stronger than they need to be to perform what their, their function. Eyes are the second most complex organ after the brain. They're able to process 36,000 pieces of information in a single hour. In the average life, your eyes will see 24 million different ad, ad, images. Your human eye can see 500 shades of gray. Our eyes are made up of 2 million working parts. Eye muscles are the most active muscles in the human body. Now, what we're saying is this. God has done an incredible thing in, in the human body. And God has done an incredible thing in creation. 
And as we look at what God has created, that ought to, that ought to lift, we ought to lift our eyes up and say, God, you are incredible. Look at what you've done just in the human eye. I mean, that's enough to praise God forever. Now, men mess it, mess it up, it's true. But God created it all. And the creation is only a drop in the bucket compared with the new creation. Well, then we see the glory of God in the Israelites in the wilderness. Exodus 24, beginning of verse 15. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it. And the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. Okay, so they're out in the, the uh, you know, in the children of Israel. They, they come to Mount Sinai from Egypt. Then it says, for six days the cloud covered the mountain. On the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. Then Moses entered the cloud uh, to the Israelites. I'm sorry, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So God then, as the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, one of the things that God did was to draw people to himself and display his glory. And they saw his glory, and some were, some were frightened by that and, and repulsed by it. Others were drawn to it. But God's glory was shown in that wilderness experience. And then we see Moses in the tent outside the camp. Exodus 33. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy and compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, You cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. God's glory is so incredibly powerful that nobody can look at God's face, face on, and, and live. You cannot do it. Then the Lord said, there's a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I'll put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. And so Moses, in that wilderness experience, is absolutely transformed by God's glory. And isn't that what's ha what has happened to us in our lives? We've seen God's glory. We've seen his majesty. I don't know about you, but that's what, that's what did it for me. I have seen God's majesty. And no matter who I am or what I'm going through, so on, I have seen the glory of God, and, and that is worth everything that there is in this life. It's, all, it's worth everything in order to see that glory of God. And someday we're going to go be with him and we're going to be surrounded by that glory. And then God, we see him in the wilderness. Exodus 40. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Now this is in the tabernacle in the wilderness and God told Moses, establish a tabernacle Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because a cloud had settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So this is Moses now dedicating this tabernacle in the wilderness. And, and as that is dedicated, the, it says the glory of the Lord filled that tabernacle. 
And then in Exodus 25, it says, Then put in the ark, which I will give you, make an atonement cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammered gold at the ends of the cover. I think the next sign, or the next uh, slide. Um, <clears throat> so it looked like that. And make one cherub on one end, second cherub on the other, make the cherubim of one piece with a cover at the two ends. The cherubim are have their wings spread outward. So you see the wings spread outward there, <clears throat> overshadowing the cover. The cherubim are to face each other looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the testimony which I will give you. <clears throat> there above the cover between the cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. So what we're saying is this. God's glory, God localized that glory to that place between the wings of the cherubim, that mercy seat, on that mercy seat, God would speak to them. The glory of God would be seen in that. And then we see the same kind of thing in 2 Chronicles, um, where, where Solomon now is dedicating the temple. This was the tabernacle in the wilderness. Now, uh, Solomon is dedicating the temple, and it says... The temple of the Lord was filled with a cloud, and the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the temple of God. So we see then God's glory dwelling between the wings of the cherubim in the temple in the holiest of holies. Now, let's move then into the New Testament. In the Old Testament era then, we see God leading the children of Israel and his glory is seen as he's leading them, and he reveals himself in his glory to the children of Israel. And then we come into the New Testament era. And the Greek word is doxa, which is the word that we get doxology from. And, and again, it means God's radiance, brightness, splendor, majesty, perfection, righteousness. But mostly it is God's presence. And it is God's, God's presence and God's presence in his Son. Mark 1, 9 and 10. At, the, at that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now this is really a significant event. Because before, the presence of God, the glory of God, was in the tabernacle. It was, on the, it was on Mount Sinai. It was between the cherubim. It was localized. Now, Christ comes along, Christ is baptized, and the glory of God descends on Jesus. And not only descends on him, but remains in him. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh, and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this word for made his dwelling among us goes back to that tabernacle. That, that Christ became then the, the glory of God between the cherubim. He made his dwelling in, in the, tab, in the, in the uh, tabernacle, in the temple, and now in Jesus Christ. God's glory in Christ. 
So then, Jesus becomes the God's provision for the presence of God in the wilderness. The presence of God between the cherubim. God looked through the mercy seat where those where those uh, cherubim, their arms stretched out, God looked through the mercy seat and the cherubim with God's presence between the cherubim to the law underneath. And I, underneath, in that Ark of the Testimony, was God's presence. And, and underneath that are the, is the law. And God looked through the mercy seat of Jesus to the law underneath. In other words, he forgave our sins. And Jesus became the propitiation for our sins so that we might be justified before God and have a relationship with Him. So here's the, here's the point. God revealed Himself in shadows in the Old Testament. There were shadows. We could, you know, we, it was hard to distinguish exactly where it was going. But when we come to the New Testament, God shows us God's glory in full living color. That's in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the full living color, not the shadow anymore, but the full living color reality of who God is. Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. I mean, that's incredible. The sun is the radiance of God's glory. He is, you know, he's the outshining of the glory of God. When we look at Jesus, we're seeing the outshining of the glory of God himself. John 17, 4, 4 and 5. I love this verse. And I honestly, I never quite saw this before I was doing this study. And it says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Lord, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had be with you before the world began. So all that we see is that Jesus had glory with God before the world began. Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God, and he became incarnate. He took that step downward, gave up some of his glory, but then we see God turns that around and God gives him in the end. All that glory is bestowed on Jesus again. In John 8, 58, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. And so what we see then is that the glory of God um, is, you know, that, that phrase here, I am, is a goemi in the Greek, and it means Jesus was identifying with the God in the wilderness who spoke to Jesus in, or spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus said, I was back there. I was spoke to you from the burning bush. It says, it says after that in John chapter 8, they picked up stones to stone him to death because they understood exactly what he was saying. They were saying, here is the glory of God. So Christ dwelt with the Father as a pre-incarnate Son in a state of glory. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the source of life, the creator of the universe. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John 1.1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So we see Jesus with God in the beginning, and then he spoke 
the worlds into existence. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. Now, here's an important point. The cross is the place of God's glory. And we don't think of it that way. And I didn't, I didn't, I, you know, I didn't really put this together until I was putting this sermon together. But John 12, 23 says this. Jesus, now Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now I always thought, well, that had to do, you know, he's going to be resurrected. And that's, that's what he's looking at. John 13, 31. When he was gone, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And I thought, yeah, that's okay. We're talking about the resurrection there. But no, that isn't what we're talking about. We're talking about the cross. And Leon Moore said this, the glorification of Christ is connected with what appears to men as the very opposite of glory. Jesus is looking to the cross as he speaks of glory. So the cross then becomes the place of the glory of God. God demonstrates his glory at the very place where we would expect the humiliation, Jesus dying on the cross as a convicted uh, sinner, a convicted felon, you know, inciting a, a riot and so on, at that very place where we would expect the humiliation, and we see the humiliation of Jesus in the flesh, is the very place where God's glory is manifested. The place of humiliation is the place of glory. Philippians 2, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Christ then, the glory of God is manifested as Jesus is hanging on that cross. That is the place of God's glory. <laughs> it doesn't, doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> but that's what was happening. Matthew 24, 30. At that time, the son of Man will come in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the man, Son of Man coming on the clouds of the day with power and great glory. Jesus is coming back and we're going to fully see that glory once again. Now, the good news is that that glory is available to us. 1 Corinthians 6.19 Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? who is in you, whom you have received from God. <clears throat> 3.16, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit lives in you? Colossians 1.27, to them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of his mystery, now listen to this, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we see, we see then the glory of God in the Old Testament, localized, we see the glory of God given to Jesus. Jesus is filled with the Holy Spirit. And the glory of God resides in Jesus. And listen to this, folks. And that glory resides in us as his believers. God's presence 
in us. That's the place of glory. God's glory dwells in your life. As you receive Christ, as Christ is in your life, you have the glory of God, the holiness of God. All of that dwells within us. It's not out there somewhere. It's right in here, in us. And what, what is so hard for God is that he's given us his glory, and yet so many refuse it. I don't want that. I'll go after my own glory. Thank you very much. 1 Peter 1.15 says, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. <clears throat> 2 Thessalonians 2.13 We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through, the, through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what God has given to us is that we can share in the glory which is Christ. You are called to glory. And then we get to the text that we talked about earlier. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, 3, 6 through 11. And this lays the foundation for it. It says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the Spirit kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which is engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, and he's talking there about Moses and the Ten Commandments, so the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was. And he says, Moses came down from the mountain, down from Mount Sinai, with those engraved stones, those slabs on which the law is written, and because Moses had been in the presence of God, his face was shiny, but it was slipping away. That was fading. It will not, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? So if there was incredible glory in the Old Testament and incredible glory upon Jesus Christ, how much more glorious is the present age that we are in that we receive Christ, how much more glorious is the future that we have before us and the presence of Christ within us? Verses 17 and 18, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, now listen to this, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory. So not only do we have the glory of Christ dwelling within us and the holiness of God and presence of God dwelling within us, but this says that God is in the process of step by step, day by day, He is in the process of what we call sanctification, bringing us to the place of greater glory. So you're not just being changed. You're being changed to be more glorious. Because you're being changed to be into the changed into the image of Christ to resemble him, and he is glorious. 
That's who you are. That's your inheritance. We're being recreated in glory. We're not being just changed. We are being changed into the image of God. Wow. And what was in the temple between the cherubim is now becoming brighter in us. That's the heritage that we have. Moses' glory was fading, but in contrast to that, the glory that we have in Christ Jesus is actually increasing. So the fading glory of Moses and the increasing glory of the children of God. That's what we've been called to. Now, if that ain't good, I don't know what is. <laughs> I mean, God is an incredible God. This glorious God living in us is changing us into glory. Psalm 29. Ascribe to the Lord, Almighty Ones. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of His holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord thunders over the mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. We serve a majestic, splendorous, glorious, magnificent God who, thanks to what Jesus did on the cross, is at work in us making us into that very image and increasing our glory from glory to glory. That's what God has called us to. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you that you are at work in us. We don't understand that, Lord, but we know that you are changing us, transforming us from the image of that which is earthly from the image of that that resembles our culture to the glorious image of Christ. And we thank you, Almighty God, that there's a purpose to all this and that we are called by you and we are, we are blessed by you and, and that you live within us and you, 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 you are at work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. And we thank you for that. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is at work in us. And we as a people, we say, God, work in us. We don't understand the process. We don't understand what that heavenly is like. But we trust in you that you are taking us to that place. And we give you thanks and praise and honor and glory. Amen.
you have around us, Lord, that is evidence of, of who you are and what you are. Lord, and we, we want to be more like your son. So Lord, let us take the lessons of the day and let us strive to be just a little bit better each day to be more like Jesus. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God be with us till we meet again.